Polly. Oh, 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 this is a classic misunderstanding. Bat down, bat down. <laughs> this is King Shark. Howdy. Hacker extraordinaire and perhaps more pertinent social media maven. Uh, this giant, terrifying half-man, half-shark is a computer whiz? I don't like to brag, but he took me from eight social media followers to eight. Teen! Bravo! I called him to solve our nemesis problem. Mm, I'm guessing you're the one having trouble finding a nemesis. Well, we put the profile up and we're not getting any bites. Is that a shark joke? If so, it's very funny. <laughs> now, Scooch, let me take a look at that profile. everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the second episode of 2022. I am one of your hosts, Troy Sauer. With me is Brad Anderson. Brad, how's, uh, are, we, are we still doing okay for 2022? Still So still far, buddy, they, 2022 got another celebrity this morning, or today, like minutes before we were recording. Holy cat, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Literally I, like we were getting ready to start and when we, the, it was like running across Twitter and I was like, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, and before that, Sydney Poitier, um, mm-hmm. Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, it's not safe, man. <laughs> it, it is not safe. This is, uh, and with all the, I don't know, COVID hybrid Omicron Decepticon versions, the uh, the nasal infections that are still going on, the influenza. Twenty. This January is a little rough. I'm I'm going to say it's a little bit more rough. There were two highlights, though, Troy. What's that? My birthday was on January 5th. It was, yes. And our guest, Mr. John Nance, his birthday was January 6th. Yes. So, John, how are you, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Doing great. Yeah, doing great. As you guys mentioned, you know, still it's just 2022, New Year, same crazy stuff. Sorry that a bunch of uh, white redneck men who found more love with their cousin and not their moms uh, destroyed your... uh, birthday uh last year so and every year we get to celebrate january 6th like it's some sort of uh, oh whatever <laughs> oh you saw that family reunion video oh yeah <laughs> the, the, uh, your family reunion at the, <laughs> at the capitol building john oh no 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 not that one no, no fbi no, 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 no. no i was nowhere yeah. near there yeah. none of us were well we john and i were near but not like we had alibis so you're, you're, that's right you're, yeah, yeah. You live in proximity. Well, <laughs> hey, this month we're we're continuing our look back in 2021. And Brad, you and I decided we were going to pick a couple of films for this month that came out last year that bombed. And yeah, kind of the biggest bombs of 2021. Yes. And now I I sort of cheated. I didn't really cheat. When, when we're talking about U.S. box office, Raging Fire, Total Bomb. I mean, mm-hmm. it made a, it made a lot of money uh, internationally, like five million worldwide. <laughs> but we, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But anymore, if you do a comic book film, you're pretty much printing money, except for the movie that we're talking about tonight, right? So you picked this one, and I think it's a first time watch for you. So what what are we talking about tonight? Yeah, so we're talking about the Suicide Squad, which is a I won't want to say a sequel to the 2016 film, but it has some of the same returning characters. So 
it's a pseudo sequel, I guess, right? Sequel or reboot or reboot yeah. sequel. They put the the in front of it, so that means like it can be a reboot and a sequel or whatever it needs to be. So um yeah, I did I went back and looked at some of the numbers on that one. So when we're going through everything, we have a good comparison on uh on some numbers. Awesome. I, I think this will be a pretty good discussion, but what's interesting is every time we seem to get a comic book property, and I, I know for me, John is my go-to guy. I mean, John and I go to Baltimore Comic-Con. He's usually you know, leading me around like a, a lost puppy dog, showing me all the cool stuff. But John, you are sort of our, our resident comic book expert. And I got to be honest with you, Suicide Squad, I know a little bit about, but probably more of the recent comics. Uh, I, I think some of the characters that show up in this film and specifically Suicide Squad, they've been around for a while, which kind of surprises me, right? So yes. you, you want to yes. give us a little bit of a crash course before we talk about the the film franchise itself, but maybe give us a little bit of history about um, Suicide Squad as a comic book. Yeah. Yeah, not a problem. And and like you, so yeah, you know, I, I pride myself on my comic book knowledge, but Suicide Squad was one of those that, you know, I, I really wasn't a, a true fan of, but I, I knew about it. But uh, Suicide Squad actually started back in um, 1959 um, oh. in the comic book Wait, what, series. 50, did you say 59? Yeah, yeah 1959 okay. um, under the title of Brave and the Bold. And uh-huh. it, it started with that. It was pretty much the same same scenario. You know, you had a, 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 a kind of anti-hero team being led back then by the Colonel uh, Rick Flagg. Oh, okay. Um, taking on some missions and stuff. Um, it wasn't until um, his his father died that who we now know as Rick Flag, and the, back then it was Rick Flag Junior, um, takes over um, in in the comic series, and you know he sacrifices himself um, to save the world basically against back then what was Nazi Germany's what they called the War Wheel, uh, War Wheel, uh, and anybody who's seen. I want to say it was Justice League, the animated series. They actually depict the war wheel. Um, some of the characters have the roster is so vast that it's kind of hard to really go through each one of them. But in, in kind of keeping in, in, in line with tonight's discussion, um, another one that actually it kind of surprised me because I didn't know the history of this one, but uh, Peacemaker um, actually started in Charlton Comics' uh, Fighting Five. Um, and that was back in 19, 1967. Wow. Um, so, okay. So yeah. th- this, this is what is crazy to me is you're talking numbers that are really old. And yes. for me, the only thing I've known of suicide squad involves Harley Quinn. And in my head, Harley Quinn was a character who was created for Batman, the animated series. So yep. I forever thought that suicide squad as sort of a comic book franchise was something newer, meaning it, it came from the nineties more or less, but you're, well, you're saying of, all of this stuff comes from the the fifties and sixties. Yeah. And yeah, it, it kind of rolls up cause it kind of died off. And then uh, DC comics purchased uh, Charlton comics back in night in, in the early eighties. I want to say 83, 84, 82. I, I'm not sure. Um, and then in, Gosh, was it 1987? Um, John Ostrander um, decided he's gonna he's gonna try and do like the, this movie, uh, a retcon, a soft reboot of the entire series. And him and his wife, who uh, his wife um, 
Kim Yale, who unfortunately passed away in 1997 um, from breast cancer, but she was the writer. Um, he he co-wrote with her and kind of developed the Suicide Squad that we know today. You know, from the 80s to the 90s, there were several iterations. Several characters died. Several characters got retconned back to life. Um, but a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight really surprised me. Going back through and digging through some of this history and and just how close to a lot of what John Ostrander was bringing out in, in the comic books. Um, you know, just, just really, I don't even know what the hell I'm going to say. It, it, it was really cool. Really cool. Because like you said, Harley Quinn, a lot of suicide squad, and that's because, you know, the hype in the movie and stuff, but um, like uh, blood sport, there's several iterations of him. Um, I kind of caught it. We'll talk a little bit about it later, but like Ratcatcher catcher too. Well, there's several characters Throughout the Suicide Squad history, uh, like in the movie, there was the Thinker, but there was also in the comics the Thinker Two and the Thinker Three. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, is, is the premise always like we have these antiheroes that are all imprisoned, and to like cut time off of their prison time, they do these missions essentially. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, they're they're going to do the job that you know. Everyone says, you know, well, ain't no one coming back from that. And somehow they're, they're always successful. Um, sometimes, and I found this out uh, through a lot of the series, they did uh, some of the startups in the 80s and the 90s. Um, just like this movie, like half the roster died in the very first issue. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So I have to go back and pick some of those up to kind of read them. But yeah, um, Josh, Josh, uh, John Ostrander picked it up. Um, he got Len Wine. Anybody who knows comics knows Len Wine. Yeah. Incredible Hulk, Wolverine, and mm-hmm. the great John Byrne to help do some of the pencils. Um, I mentioned his wife, uh, Kim Yale, only because she was also a writer on one of my other favorite comic books when I was a kid. That was, uh, and I, this is a real nerd check for anybody out there, Elf Quest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it had really deep roots a long time ago. And ironically, they kind of pull with this movie that we're going to talk about tonight, pull back from a lot of the history back from all the way back in 1959 through the current iteration, current run of the comics or, or up to the nineties of the comics um, today. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting to go back and, and kind of go, wow, I really did not understand or, or know a lot about this comic, these characters, but it, it was really kind of ingenious how you take two bit characters and develop comic series or shows or movies around these characters. And it was, it was really fascinating to, to, to learn about. Well, are you saying that polka dot man is not an A-list uh, superhero? Polka dot man beat Batman. Mm. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yeah. He bet he beat Batman captured Robin once, um, but the, his powers were a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, he was in the comic series, weasel, different in- incarnations. Those who are fans of the hero firestorm weasel had a part in, um, gosh, what was his name? Martin no Stein, idea. Martin yeah. Stein. He was, he was one half of firestorm actually turning into firestorm. Did not know that. Um, King shark or the Nawe, whatever they call him in this movie, <laughs> um, several iterations, very, and as you, you know, are, are you know, tease a little bit later um really interesting to see how his character kind of went back and forth from like a primordial 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle C-list actor to uh, kind of like an A-list actor in not just this movie, but actually some of the CW shows for anybody who's watched those. Yeah, he's shown up on The Flash. He's in the yeah. Harley Quinn animated series. He's in the yeah. film. Yeah, so I'm always a fan, especially in the comic book world. I mean, the the two series that got me into comics was Weird War Tales by DC and The Defenders by Marvel. And I've always had a soft spot for be it Marvel or DC, but any of their series that were considered the B list or even C list and defenders, you know, it, it had the Hulk and Submariner, et cetera, but you had a lot of people go through the defender series. You know, I think it lasted under 2526 issues and uh, they, they are just not your, your main characters, you know, your Spider-Man, your, your Captain America, et cetera. And I loved all those characters, but I had a lot of fun. I, I feel like Marvel and DC would always, you know, spread their wings and stretch their creativity a lot with those type of series. But I'm, I'm just absolutely shocked uh, because DC is probably in terms of comic book history, my weak spot. I know a lot of their horror anthology stuff um, as it goes old, but you know, the, the Batman, the Superman stuff like that. I, I just never followed it. I, I always grew up as a Marvel kid. And it just shocks me that suicide squad goes back that far. And even most of these characters uh, that we're going to talk about tonight, I, I kind of thought they were newer characters or um, you know, blood sport. I, I kind of thought that was made up because they couldn't get Will Smith back, but uh, or Jean-Claude. Or Jean, or you know, what's the <laughs> reference to a Jean Claude movie? Better movie, better movie. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you, Troy. Like, I was a Marvel kid growing up, and Batman was the only DC character that ever spoke to me. Um, so that's where my knowledge begins and ends with DC, essentially. I mean, I know Green Lantern and Superman, obviously, and all the big ones, but I've never read anything outside of like Death of Superman, really. Um, but Batman, I've, I've read a lot of that, but. Yeah, DC just never really spoke to me. I was always a Marvel person, and I'll always be a Marvel person. Um, I don't, I don't know. I like the DC. I, I remember watching probably the cartoon I grew up with was the Super Friends. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I, I love Flash. I I love like the first two or three seasons of the Flash show, and then I stopped watching because I think terrible. the DC animated stuff has been far superior. Oh my than gosh, the that stuff's stuff. fantastic! Oh, hands down, yeah, hands yeah. down. Yeah. Which I've watched which is, a lot of those. Yeah, which is ironic considering, you know, DC, or DC animated movies just kick Marvel's ass up and down the block. Oh, hands but down. Like, but their live action stuff, it's <laughs> like, what What aren't, are, do you guys like work on opposite ends of the building? Do you guys not talk <laughs> to each other ever? Yeah, and you were talking the Harley Quinn show. You're like, this movie, this show is perfect and I need to check it out. But Troy, you rave about it all the time. Yeah, I, I think there's only two seasons out uh, two seasons. so yeah. far, and I think I've watched both seasons a couple of times. It's absolutely fantastic. It's hysterical. We'll we'll talk about that because uh, my view of tonight's film, I think, is tempered by that TV show, and we'll get into detail. <laughs> but Brad, when we were talking at the last episode, I had picked two films that I had discovered last year and kind of wanted to champion because they, they just didn't really do anything with American audiences. Uh, and, and full disclosure, my two picks are, are foreign films, but you picked two films that you had not seen. Mm -hmm. And so you, this was your first time watch for the suicide squad. That's correct. Um, I figured once this movie came out opening weekend and it didn't do so great, I was like, Oh, Troy and I are going to do this. I'm picking this for our January stuff. 
So I kind of just put it off to the side. Um, yeah, I, I was there nothing about this in the trailer or, no, or it, even it the director spoke that, to me. I just okay. didn't see it that first little bit. And then, um, you know, then it, people started talking about, Oh, this movie is only made X amount. It's opening weekend. It's real. It's in real big trouble. Hey, we're still in a pandemic. Um, you know, and it's got this easy comparison to the 2016 film, but I, I like James Gunn a lot as well. So there, everything kind of spoke to me. I just didn't see it. And then it bombed immediately. And I was like, okay, we're, we're doing it for the show. Um, and I'll just save it for then um, have fresh eyes. So that was kind of my, my methodology behind um, not seeing this movie. I, I wanted to, I've been wanting to see it for a long time. I just wanted to wait. I was saving myself for a special occasion, Troy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't just put out for anybody. He's well, that's special. not what the internet says, but all right. Um, and John, I know you saw this theatrically, right? I did opening weekend. Yes, I did. Yeah. I was one of the few who actually went uh, with the family. And I, I think you and I yeah. saw it on the same day, if I remember correctly. Yeah, actually, yeah, we did. Because we saw were, it in the morning, and you went in the afternoon. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, this this will be kind of interesting. So, it's is this the first movie we're talking about that followed the theatrical release and streaming release uh, model? I, th- I think so. Yeah, the, like the dual sort of simultaneous release, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we should probably talk about that real quick. So, um, and I know you're going to get into the details, but if, if, you know, if we're talking historical reference here, we came to a point in time where I think the question of movie theater operation, because for, for a lot, for a couple of months, movie theaters were shut down. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you couldn't and, even go to the theater. So yeah. it wasn't even an option. And I think there was a big question for a lot of stuff that was in development. Um, the, the latest James Bond film got pushed back several times and there was a decision to finally release it, even though there was also talk about pushing it back again, but they came down to it and said, Hey, look, if we, if we push it anymore, we're going to lose more money. And I think it's one of the highest grossing movies internationally, but they're still saying from a box office perspective, given how much they've spent in marketing, it had to clear they like essentially had to market it like four times. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, I don't know what the final numbers are. I, it might've squeaked by from a small profit, but you know, they were saying that a movie like that would have to make about a billion dollars in order to break. Yeah, 900, even. I saw $900 million. Yeah. Which is nuts. And I think it came in at like 800 and some odd million. So it's probably made more since that time period. But the suicide squad was part of the Warner brothers contract Uh, with HBO Max. So HBO is trying to get its streaming service out there. And with the pandemic going on, it was basically like, hey, for the slate of movies coming out in 2021, they would do a theatrical and streaming release date on the same date. That's pretty much how it worked, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you want to go into the details on like, I don't know, the the box office numbers and how that worked a little bit? Yeah. and um and I'll give you some comparison to the 2016 as well. Okay. Um so the Suicide Squad is released August 5th, 2021 and like Troy said that is in the theater and on HBO Max with a reported budget of 185 million dollars. Its total box office gross is 167 million dollars. So it fails to uh return its uh, production budget. So for comparison, 
Suicide Squad 2016 has a budget of $175 million and makes a grand total of $746 million. Wow. Um, so it makes a lot. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Suicide Squad released, um, like I said, August 5th. That weekend, it makes $26 million, which is a um, pretty significant issue because essentially you can take your opening weekend, multiply that by two, and that's your domestic box office. And, you know, roughly, um, and we get 55 domestic, 26 times two is 52. So, you know, we're, you're right at it there. Um, but that is good enough to rank in number one that weekend. And of course, I'm assuming HBO is okay. Well, of course they are. They're going to eat this cost of this film because I know around this time they had a spike in subscribers. Um, This is driving people. We all know once you subscribe to a service, um, canceling that uh, service is an issue is like a, is a hassle and you don't do it. So you just keep getting it. Um, And an important thing on like the investor side is you start telling investors we have last, you know, quarter we had, 9 million subscribers and now we have 11 and they want to see that growth in subscriber numbers because that revenue is constant, right? Yep. You know, if last quarter you had 10 million subscribers and you're growing at a certain rate, that, that money is constant every quarter. Um, and as opposed to say, Hey, we're going to release a movie. It could make money or it couldn't. Um, and it's a gamble, but we have this streaming service too, that, Every quarter, we're just making this, you know, we're, we're pulling in revenue um, is a little bit safer of a bet for investors. Um, now, you're not going to get the huge um, spikes say, hey, the Dark Knight comes out and is the biggest movie, you know, almost of all time, stuff like that. But anyway, um, <laughs> and, and I think from a streaming perspective, it did OK. So it did. It, it, but it still didn't like crush it like yeah. it was i think they were okay with it but it wasn't um i i think it came in in the first four days at like uh, they estimated about 2.8 million viewers in comparison a big hit for warner brothers earlier in the year was mortal Kombat, which yeah, had like about four yeah about four million yeah. so it 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 did all right right yeah. but to, to your point you're, you're probably missing about 30, $40 million in opening weekend as a result of the streaming, which for that budget is still not huge. Yeah. Yeah. But you're getting that nine ninety nine from those, you know, two or 3 million people times that by 12, you know, it's like the math at some point in time is, is, um, you know, it's going to have a longer tail, um, but it will be attributed to the suicide squad. Right. right. Yeah. You're not you're this this revenue is not attributed to Suicide Squad from the streaming, even though arguably they joined the streaming service to watch the Suicide Squad. So um and, and just anyway. real quick, since we're talking about that, you have you have HBO Max, right, Brad? Oh yeah. Yep. Do do yep. you, John? No. Okay. I don't either. I, no. I don't I, it's just I mean, given the number of streaming services I have, all the stuff that was showing up on HBO for me. It, and this is a great example. It was, oh, I'm going to see that in the theater. Dune's another one, Mortal Kombat. And I know it's coming out on home video for 4K. I, I would want to buy that. 
and own it, which I, I have, but yeah, for, for whatever reason, I have not jumped on the HBO bandwagon. Yeah. I, I like game of Thrones. Succession is another one of my favorite shows. Um, you know, Sopranos is another one, just being able to go back and watch those. Plus they have Sesame street for my kids. So, you know, I can argue my way into that sure. $14.99 a month or whatever it is. Um, listen to these numbers right here. This is where things get real fascinating. Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Um, the Suicide Squad from 2021 sits at a 90% with the critics and an 82% with the audience. Contrast that with uh, Suicide Squad 2016. We have a 26% from the critics and a 59% from the audience. Um, so, <laughs> and it made way more money. And it made, uh, let's see, yes, way more money, like almost five times more. Um, yeah. It's not fair, but anyway. Um, but again, it's not apples to apples, right? We're we're in a pandemic. We've been in a pandemic. Uh, this was out of the theater, I think, pretty quickly because there has been some backlash from theater chains about HBO Max and doing that simultaneous release. So they will move those out um, first um, because they kind of don't like HBO because of that choice. Um, and they're, they're not doing it in 2022. So that says something. Yeah, as well. They've already said they're not doing that in 2022. Um, hopefully everything gets back to normal. I know all three of us love going to the theater. It's one of my favorite things, um, you know, the new screen movie comes out really soon. And it's like, I know I'm going to see that in the theater. It, it just makes me get excited. And I, I love going to the theater. Um, the thought of not doing that is scary. Like I like the convenience, like I have a good setup in my house, but there's nothing that beats going to the theater and seeing something with that communal aspect to it. So um, yeah. What, what, what else came out? I mean, what kind of competition was it up against? So we, we've done release? this because um Last week we talked about August because that was when Raging Fire came yep. out in the United States. Um, so just to kind of uh, reiterate some of those titles again, uh, we have the the some movie called He's All That, which I think is a spin on She's All That. Um, we have another John Cena film, which is called uh, Vacation Friends. I think that was a Hulu. That was a one. Hulu original. Yep. Yeah. The Candyman sort of reboot continuation, mm -hmm. which I really liked, but boy, that movie was real heavy handed. Like it <laughs> was, there was no subtlety in that movie at all. Like I like don't look up, but I think Candyman had less subtlety than, uh, or yeah, less subtlety than don't look up. So um, we have that remembrance or uh, reminiscence, sorry, reminiscence which we were going to do this month. Oh, the Hugh Jackman film. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We like, mm -mm. Oof, that looks uh, terrible. <laughs> Demonic sweet girl, the Paw Patrol movie. Shout out to Paw Patrol movie. Um, the prestige, the protege. Um, what else we got? That's about it in raging fire. Raging fire came out, uh, in like 15 in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. 59 but you know whatever so one of the things and and here's where i think it's get it'll get interesting too is 2021 was still a pretty significant year for comic book properties coming out either streaming or, or theatrical yeah so i pulled the top 100 uh superhero uh grosses of all time um we have six that were released in 2021 so six percent 
of the total population for the highest grossing uh, superhero films. Um, of course, we have the big one. Spider-Man No Way Home right. is the third highest grossing superhero film of all time. It just passed $1.5 billion. <laughs> Billion. Jeez. And then there is a significant drop off. Do you all know what the second highest grossing uh, superhero film of 2021 is? I bet you won't guess it. Of 2021? It yes. would have to be Shang-Chi. No. Really? It is Venom. Let there be carnage. Can't shut the front door. Seriously. Half a billion dollars. $500 million. It beat Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, yep. it was 417. It was third. Wow. Paw Patrol beat Shang-Chi. <laughs> I don't, better not. Uh, the fourth is, which I found this to be shocking, uh, Eternals with $399 million. Ed had Donnelly. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then we have Black Widow with 375. And then there's another significant drop off. And then we have the Suicide Squad with 167. So um, I don't wow. know if you saw that article, but did you see where Marvel made up 30% of the box office in 2021? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are they Dude. counting Spider-Man in that? Because it was I, like I a, thought so. it kind of a co-production. So I, I guess they would. But yeah, yeah I mean, oh, Sony yeah, had a good year, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sony, they had the top two grossing superhero films of the year. I mean, they made $2 billion off of two films. Uh, and I, I, John, what did you think about that Venom film? Just a sidebar for a second. Did I mean the second one? Oh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I could have used a little tweaking to the story, but I enjoyed it, um, especially since it made my comic book collection more valuable since I have the first appearance of Carnage, three issues, <laughs> copies. There you go. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was. I, I did. I enjoyed it. My kids enjoyed it. Uh, wife, I think she was a little hard to follow on it, but I, I, no real bad critiques of it. I like it's a it's a mess, man. <laughs> I like Black Widow, but yeah, <clears throat> it's a mess. But I'll say this: Tom Hardy, I think, keeps yeah. it together. Uh, I, I like it way more than the first one. I, I won't sit there and rave about it, but I, I'm I did enjoy it. But I, it is it is messy. It it would yeah, not that, that make Venom. What was the what, in the first one? What's the antagonist name? The symbiote suit at the very end where they fight, where it's just two black blobs going at it. What was that guy's I, name? Yeah, I don't, I don't even remember. Like Ray, Rage, I don't know. Whatever it is, but yeah, I John, better, help me out. Don't make don't me sound remember. like an idiot. Yeah, no, I think it was Rage or something, something like that. Like, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, but boy, yeah, both of those movies have their peaks, and boy, they've got their valleys for me too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the second one, I think, Troy, you said what, what my son Bishop had said, you know, he like he definitely liked it better than the first one. Um, I thought, you know, Woody Harrelson as Cassidy was definitely, definitely, you know, live in the movie up. Um, Tom Hardy did really good on it. Um, yeah, I could see it definitely a lot of the messiness into it. Um, but overall, I, I still thought it was a much better showing of what Sony could do. And, and especially since they're <clears throat> without giving away too many spoilers, kind of tying it in to a bigger universe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's the thing now. Um, I, I even think no way home threw some shade at DC in that, uh, um, book that flash Thompson, I think was writing called flashpoint, <laughs> which yes. everybody's going for the multiverse, but yeah, I mean the suicide squad and, and before we get into kind of talking about the people behind the scenes and in, and in front of the camera, what did you guys think about the first one? So I, I know oh. 
Ayer, I, so there, there's the theatrical cut. And then there was the version that was, you know, released on home media on Blu-ray and 4k. And I think Ayer has even gone on to say, Hey, he, he even has his own director's cut. Cause when justice league came out last year and everybody was kind of praising Zack Snyder going back, Warner brothers gave him a little bit of money and said, Hey, you know, put your vision on screen for, for their streaming service. Uh, but it, that air thing, it, I, I find it very divisive, even among comic book fans and movie fans, because I actually thought the, uh, I, I know critically it didn't do very well, but I thought the audience score was lower because I, I run into a lot of people who champion that one, but I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on that. So, um, I really didn't like the first one. I, I really didn't. I thought for a, a for a DC comic book that tried to pull in a lot of the characters that that people recognized. Um, like if you were a DC fan, even in the slightest, if if only the only thing that you ever did was watch some of the animated shows, you know who Captain Boomerang was, right? You know who who Lawton was. Um, you know definitely know who Harley Quinn was. Uh, Flag was definitely an interesting character uh, to have in there, but to have Enchantress as you know the main villain, who by the way she was actually one of the you know recurring team members in some of the original Suicide Squad comics. Um, to me, it looked like it, it was just a um, this is the Suicide Squad featuring Will Smith through most of it, and it's boring as hell. Okay. <laughs> so you, you are really not a fan of that film. No. I think you're being way too nice, John. That movie is terrible. That movie is atrocious. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's so, and look, I, I, the dark Knight was a revelation for us all. Right. It, uh, grounded superhero films to a point where nothing could, you could not be a goofy, um, superhero film until essentially like i don't know i mean iron man was kind of the same year but like guardians of the galaxy i feel like is the turning point where it's like it's okay to like take the piss out of each other uh we have a talking raccoon in a big ass tree it's okay to be funny right um the suicide squad you know has a dude called captain boomerang let's not be so serious like let's not be so edgelordy about everything to the point where um you know, I just I, I will defend David Ayer on some of his films. I think End of Watch is I think was one of my favorite films of 2012. Yes. I think it's a fantastic movie. It's got his racial problems, but that hey, what I mean, it's okay. It's a movie. Um, but boy, I hated the Suicide or Suicide Squad. And I thought one of the reasons, and again, I'll defend uh jared leto like i think he's good in some stuff but he is not a good choker at all and that's that portrayal uh was embarrassingly bad to the point where i was i know it's almost to like a parody level of stuff and then like i get it's like margot robbie is a very attractive woman um but the the camera like basically going inside of her asshole in that movie is like to the point <laughs> wow. where it's like, okay guys, like we get it. I, I missed that. Was that in the deleted scenes? Yeah, I missed it was that in one. The, yeah. That was in the, the brown eye cut. But anyway, um, you know, like it's okay to like not linger on her and over-sexualize uh, Harley Quinn to the point where it's like, 
okay, this is a three minute scene and the camera has been on her crotch for two minutes and 45 seconds. We get it guys. Like let's go. Um, the contrast with the suicide squad. Now it's, they don't sexualize Harley Quinn at all. So I, I, I just, I hated that movie so much. Um, and I ended up watching the directors, not their directors cut, but the extended cut right. when it came out and it was longer and darker, like, I don't know. And then they fight, they fight the putties from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for half that movie. And you're like, what the hell are we doing? Um, yeah. It's, where, are the Zords? Uh, where were the Zords, Troy? It's hard to defend that. I mean, I will say the, the things that I liked about the first one, which was uh, Viola Davis. I, I did, yes. I did, I did like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn in that when, when the camera wasn't, you know, on her parts for two minutes and 45 seconds. I, I like Joel Kinnaman. I did not like Will Smith. Um, and, and it's funny, all the things that I thought were pretty good in the first film end up in this newer version. So I feel like filmmakers, the studio or whatnot kind of caught on to that too and said, Hey, that, that first go around wasn't a total atrocity. There are some bright spots in it. So let's bring those forward. But I got to say, it's one of the few sequels, reboots, whatever that I, I looked at the studio or whoever was making the decisions and go, yeah, you, you picked out the good stuff and left all the other junk behind, which was, um, I know it's kind of refreshing, but I think the man who did all of that is the first person we're going to talk about when we talk about the, uh, sort of the creative minds, um, behind the camera and that's director James Gunn. So he is the writer and director of the suicide squad. We'll talk about the production and development and the history of how he came into that role, which is pretty interesting. But I'm going to start with you, John. James Gunn fan, or is he a director that when you see he's attached to something, you're immediately intrigued, or is it just you're you you didn't buy the T-shirt? You're not a fanboy. No, I I, I definitely like James Gunn. Um, I, I love his, I love his work. I love his style. Um, ever since his uh, one of his first movies, I was introduced through uh, Slither. Yes. Um, great movie, great humor. Um, and, and I appreciate, I appreciate his fanboy roots a little bit when he brings forth movies like guardians of the galaxy, the suicide squad. Um, he, he has fun with the movie, um, while not trying to, at least, you know, from my viewpoint, he doesn't try to like pander to like the lowest denominator. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I definitely appreciate that. I, I appreciate the the deep ties and the friendships he's made along his career to bring a lot of those folks back. You know, Michael Rooker, Nate Fillion, you know, as as a couple examples to really his brother, his brother, yeah, his brother, brother Sean is <laughs> Sean Gunn is <laughs> he is he's, he's got awesome. a nice house because his brother is James. He Gunn. is yep. absolutely awesome. But you know, for me, uh, James Gunn. <sighs> Granted, his past, whatever, right? Somebody, somebody who's perfect. You know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and you know start the Church of Miley Cyrus or something. Come on, people. Um, but that aside, you know, I think he's one of those few directors that actually takes a lot of the source material to heart. And as he learns about some of the projects he's he's getting involved with, he he, he becomes a fanboy. And again, he lets that fanboy. Um, base kind of come out through the movie that to me makes it really, really enjoyable um, each and every time I go see any of his projects. Yeah, that's a good summary. What about you, Brad? I, I, I think you and I yes. have the same view about James Gunn, especially his sense of humor. 
Yeah, I, I, I think James Gunn is one of those writers you know almost immediately that you're watching a James Gunn film. Um, I like his humor quite a bit. Um, it kind of always takes it a little bit step further, um, which I like. Slither is kind of the prime example of that. Um, during October, I rewatched the Zack Snyder remake of Dawn of the Dead, and I realized that James Gunn was the writer on that movie. Yeah. And I was like, that's why I like it so much. It's not the Zack Snyder part. It's the James Gunn part, because um, that movie is is funny and, and written really well. Um, he also did a film called Super, which yes. I like quite a bit. Love um, that film. He wrote and directed that. Yes. Yeah, with Rain Wilson. Mm-hmm. It's very, very good. It's very um, dark. It. I mean... Yes. Yes. If you're looking for dark comedy, that is a prime example. And I, I think it's James Gunn sort of pushing things to the, to the limit. Uh, and it yeah. works. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I love the original guardians, uh, quite a bit. I was to the point where I was getting a little bit of Marvel fatigue there for a little bit. And then I saw guardians and it was so different and they let him kind of do his James Gunn thing wrapped up in a Disney bow but it still had the same things. Like you could trace the the lineage back to Slither and it was still there. Um, obviously not as far, but um, you know, I really like that movie. I don't like the second one as much, but I'm there day one on, on volume three. So I like James Gunn a lot and I, I like his style and his humor. Um, like I said, he's got a very distinct voice and I think even his directorial choices, you can tell, you're watching a James Gunn film. Um, it's like night and day when you look at this, uh, the Suicide Squad from 2021 and the one from two, 2016. It's like these two guys have two different ideas of what this movie <laughs> should be. One of them works and one of them doesn't. So it's it is and what I, it is. And I will say also, I, I love his I love his choice of music. Yes. Oh yes, yes. We have to talk about. He's always <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he got his start with trauma films, Lloyd Kaufman. Um, and Brad, you you hate trauma. It's right? Tromeo and Juliet, right? Wasn't that his first one? So that's the first uh, screenplay from 1996, Tromeo and Juliet, which have you have you ever watched that? I've watched. I made it like seven minutes. And I was like, you know what? This, this oh. stuff is just not wow. for me. Yeah, he's done a lot of shorts and stuff. I've I've seen Tromeo and Juliet. Uh, I, I will say for, for a trauma film, I do like I, I I like the Toxic Avenger. Um, I, I think that's why I like James Gunn is because even to this day, he still works with uh, trauma film and does shorts. I've met and, Lloyd Kaufman many a time. Yes, he's a he's really amazing. nice guy, but all of his movies <laughs> suck ass. No, that's, you're so wrong about that, man. John, what's your take on trauma films? Uh, it's a love-hate relationship. Okay. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I feel the same way. I mean, yeah. I can't say I totally hate those I love stuff. to hate them. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. I've watched that one a few times. Oh, um, my gosh. <laughs> I love that one. No, he's... Uh, Poltergeist? Poultrygeist. 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 Yes, the musical, which that is a film that when I watched, I can honestly say Cameron and I just, our mouths were wide open, didn't expect the musical aspect of it. And some of the humor, we were laughing pretty hard. And some of the other humor were like, you can't say that in public, but that's trauma, right? Yep. Um, Yeah. I mean, he, as a director, had done Traumaville Cafe in 1997. And then his first theatrical, he'd, he'd done some shorts and stuff for Trauma Entertainment up to that. 
his first theatrical one was Slither, which I think all three of us love. Super um, from 2010. We talked about that. Movie 43, I think he directed and wrote a segment for that. And I've never seen that. Every, everybody oh. tells me it's absolutely oh, terrible. Oh, that's bad. It's bad. Okay. It's bad. Um, I think everybody. Talk, they talk so many good actors and actresses to be in that movie. It is mind-blowing how bad it is, but with the talent that is involved in that movie. Well, now I need to see it. So It's like yeah. so. It's like these different vignettes and stuff. It's, dude. Okay. You kind of have to see it, I, honestly. I'm, it's like a seeing is believing sort of situation. Is it like <laughs> the Kentucky Fried movie when we're just a bunch of, or Amazon Women on the Moon? I I mean that's offensive to those movies to call forty three like okay okay close to those. <clears throat> I, I think I think everybody understood how good James Gunn really was from a writer and director standpoint with Guardians of the Galaxy. I will say that first one is probably top five Marvel film, if not top three, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I love it. Not a fan of the second one. I don't know where you land on that, John. I don't. Even Kurt uh, even Kurt Russell couldn't say that one for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit, uh, yeah, I like the first one. And from a writer perspective, I was told, so like you, Brad, I was totally surprised how many things he wrote. So his first screenplay was Tromeo and Juliet. He also did Scooby-Doo in 2002, which I happen to like a lot. Dawn of the dead in 2004, Scooby-Doo monsters unleash in 2004, um, Slither and super, He's, he's done, um, I guess, screenplays or has written for video games. Lollipop Chainsaw, the video game he did in 2012. Awesome video game. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a wacky video game. I'll say that. It's, <laughs> it's nuts. And as soon as I saw that he wrote that, I'm like, oh, it makes complete sense. Because if you want to talk trauma for a video game, I think that's Lollipop Chainsaw. Uh, movie Is that 40, a Suda 51 game? I don't know the studio. I, no, no, Suda. Suda 51. No. He's a designer. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and then Guardians. He did another film, which I didn't know this. Uh, he didn't direct it, but he wrote the screenplay for the Belko Experiment in 2016, which yes. now I want to seek that one out. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you look at his filmography, he has way more hits than misses. And, and for me, I haven't seen Movie 43, so we'll, we'll count that in the miss. But Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is the only one that I haven't really been super impressed with. And he's working on a Wiley Coyote movie. That is my oh, that's so. my dream right there. I hope so because all no, I learned I think, isn't physics, that that Coyote versus Acme movie? I, I, isn't that a Wiley Coyote movie? I yeah, believe it is. Yeah, if that is, that'll be the greatest film of all time. <laughs> uh, the other, in just kind of looking at the people behind this, the 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 camera stunt coordinator and second unit director Guy Norris worked on this. Um, he did the. Uh, stunt work for Suicide Squad. He also did Mad Max Fury Road in 2015. He's got a ton of credits. And he's, he's even worked with people like uh, Chai Yun Fat on Bulletproof Month uh, from 2003. He was a stunt coordinator. And then this, now this is uncredited, but I, I got a real kick out of this. I don't, I, I know John knows this guy. I don't know about you, Brad. But one of the fight coordinators on the film was Richard Norton. Do you know Richard Norton, Brad? I don't. Okay. Have you seen Jackie Chan's Mr. Nice Guy from 1997? <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Okay. He's the main villain, the Australian villain. He's been in tons oh. of stuff. He's in Mad Max Fury Road too. Crikey. Yeah. <laughs> but he's in, I, he's, he started a lot of um, direct-to-video kickboxing films in the 90s, which are a ton of fun. And my two favorite that he did with Cynthia Rothrock are called Rage oh. and Honor and Rage and Honor 2. Uh, <laughs> I think they're from like 1992, 1993. Yeah. You got to check those yeah. out. But Richard Norton... 
um, has been in a ton of Hong Kong films like um, Millionaire's Express with Samuel Hung and Cynthia Rothrock. But he's one of the um, white guys that kind of uh, ended up playing a lot of villains in Jackie Chan and Samuel Hung films uh, in, in the 80s. And in the 90s, he kind of was Cynthia Rothrock and... Um, you know. I'm familiar with white guy karate. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the best at white guy karate. Quite mm-hmm. honestly, he's fantastic. Um, and then, you know, just a little, little fact here, uh, cause we had a listener reach out and said, man, I, I really like all the, the other little credits that you do outside of the main ones. So I thought, uh, well, what have we not seen lately on a studio credit sheet? And, uh, this one popped up the studio teacher on the suicide squad, was Jill Gann. Now the, uh, the studio teacher is, is basically the person who's, um, I don't know, tutoring all the kids on set. So, uh, (laughs) her work goes all the way back to 1999 with a little inside. She also worked on be cool in 2005 with the rock. I'm, I'm assuming she was the rocks tutor at that point. And, uh, most recently the American horror story TV series. So, okay. um, Big shout out to Jill Gann. Yeah, she's got a pretty successful career. Teaching them kids. When we talk about the people in front of the camera, holy cow. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So Margot Robbie, Harley Quinn, Idris Elba, Bloodsport, which, John, that's a real character. That's like a real DC character, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's not made up just so that. Robert Dubois. Okay. Well, so there's two versions of Bloodsport. We'll talk about that in a bit. Okay. We've got John Cena as Peacemaker, which he has a, uh, I think James Gunn's doing a TV series for him this month, right? On HBO Max. On HBO Max, yep. Okay. Joel Kinnaman as Colonel Rick Flagg, returning from the original. Daniela McQuire as Ratcatcher 2. David Dachmalian as Polka Dot Man. This it w- surprised me um, so much. Sylvester Stallone as King Shark, is the voice of King Shark, right? Viola Davis returns as Amanda Waller. We get Peter Capaldi as the thinker. He was a uh, he was a doctor, right, on the Doctor Who show? Is that right? Yeah, 13th Doctor. Okay. Uh, Michael Rooker, longtime um, comrade of, of James Gunn there. He is a savant. Nathan Fillion, which you talked about this too, John, as TDK. I did not know what TDK stood for. I had to look this up. Do you, do you guys know what TDK is? They say it in the movie. Do is it the detachable kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I must have missed it, but um, yeah. because they ask him what is TDK, and he's like, it's, yeah, and then like literally like thirty seconds later, okay. someone says, "Hey, detachable kid." And they're right. like, "That's what it stands for." Okay. Uh, did you watch the movie, Troy? I did. Okay. <laughs> uh, is it Jai Courtney? Jai is that how you say his first Jai. name? Jai. Yeah, Jai as Captain Boomerang, and he's returning from 2016. Um, Flula Borg as Javelin, Myling Ning as Mongol, Pete Davidson of SNL fame plays Blackguard. Sean Gunn has two characters. He plays Weasel, which I heard that visually was inspired by the cat from Bloom County, that yes. uh, cartoon series. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he also plays <laughs> Calendar Man. And then we also get a small cameo from Taika Watiti as the original rat catcher. That is one heck of a cast list. I mean, when you tell me that budget, I'm like, well, it makes sense. And went all to the cast. Yeah, these guys are not cheap whatsoever. 
Um, we talked about this. I, I, I don't think we can even share thoughts of the film until we talk about the production and development. Okay, this stuff's pretty interesting. And jump in on your little tidbits, tidbits of juicy information. Okay. So before the first Suicide Squad was released in August 2016, director David Ayer and star Will Smith, because he was the main attraction attached to that product, were expected to return for a sequel with filming to start in 2017 after they completed their work on Bright, which I believe was a Netflix film that was released yes. in 2017. Now, which is terrible. Um, it's okay. It's terrible. It's okay. Come on. It's okay. I actually liked it. I, it was all right. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was okay. Now, here's the thing. This is where it gets interesting. So there are several spinoff films were in development, including one featuring Will Smith as Deadshot. He was going to get his own film. The project that was furthest along was Gotham City Sirens with Margot Robbie planned to star as Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. At that time, Ayer was set to direct and produce that film. So he wanted to do that one more than he wanted to do the sequel to Suicide Squad. So as soon as he told Warner Brothers that, Warner Brothers said, okay, we got to find a new director. So they began searching for a new director for Suicide Squad This, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Yeah. This is where this gets, director. Yeah. So they were going after Mel Gibson in mid-February like 2017. Mel Gibson was yeah. going to direct the sequel. The other ones they went after was Ruben Fleischer, Daniel Espinoza, Jonathan Levine, uh, and David S. Goyer. Jean Collet Serra became the new front runner after Mel Gibson passed on the project. But then Collet Serra eventually got hired by Disney to direct Jungle Cruise, which just came out what this last summer. Which came out was out the same time as The Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. Yep. Way more money. Yeah. So in October 2018, James Gunn was hired to write and direct the next Suicide Squad film, okay? His deal with Warner Brothers closed following the completion of his exit settlement with the Walt Disney Company after he was dismissed by Disney and Marvel Studios as director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because in July of 2018, a bunch of conservative commentators began circulating old controversial tweets he had made and I guess he also got in trouble for dressing up as a nun at a Halloween party. Yeah, he didn't. He make some. I think he was making some off-color jokes. Yes. That, you know, which didn't apparently age well. But he and, apologized and funny, years so, before yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Which, if you're hiring the I guy, I think you should who, apologize because they weren't funny. I mean, like if you're gonna make off-color jokes, they should be funny at first. Well, not funny. Then then apologize for that. If if you're hiring a guy from trauma. I, I think you know what you're getting at, yeah, at this point, I right? I mean, yeah, yeah. But what's here's what's really funny. The day after Warner Brothers hired him, Disney decided to reinstate Gunn as director of Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So as soon as Warner Brothers picked him up, Disney was like, oh, I guess those tweets really don't matter, so why don't you come back yeah. and do Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Yeah, make us another billion dollars. Yeah, that's way to go, social justice warriors. Work work I, yeah I, I feel like all he ended up for him it was probably a good thing was, he, he got two deals out of it he got two deals out of it and probably made more money by yeah, you he know got a settlement and then yeah God. dc hired him and then dc hired him back and he was like yeah it's gonna cost you some money yeah okay so february 27 2019 will smith revealed that he was not going to be in the film anymore um due to scheduling issues and then on march 1st just you know week or so after 
James Gunn met with Idris Elba to discuss him joining the film reportedly as a replacement for Smith as Deadshot. So originally he was coming in to play that character. Later, they changed the narrative and said, well, Elba's going to be playing a new character so that Will Smith would have the possibility to return to the DCU if he wanted to in the future because they didn't want to you know, lose that star. Here's the other thing. So there's keep- a dead shot, a blood sport, a death stroke. Is that, a, is that yeah. the guy that uh, what's his name plays? Yes. That's okay. Okay. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and since suicide squad, I thought this was pretty interesting. Here's the Warner brother properties that are coming out. And the things I don't have in here are um, I have one DC animated project, but I don't have all of the, direct to video or direct to streaming DC animated films. Cause there's a ton of those that come out every year, like two or three, right? They've been doing like the Batman other worlds where they did the 1970s Batman with Bruce Lee and Jim Kelly and all that stuff. So that that's not part of this list, but since suicide squad, they had the justice league directed by Joss Whedon in 2017. Wonder woman came out in 2017. Aquaman came out in 2018. Shazam came out in 2019. Joker came out in 2019. In 2019 is the start of Harley Quinn, the animated TV series. Birds of Prey ends up coming out in 2020 instead of the Gotham City Sirens. Yeah, I was going to say that evolved into the Birds of Prey, right? Correct. Birds of Prey comes out in 2020. And then Wonder Woman 1984 in 2020. Then Zack Snyder went back and redid the Justice League, turned it into a four-hour film that was released only on HBO Max in 2021. And then the Suicide Squad in 2021. So DC, probably not to the extent of Marvel, has been trying to release some product, you know, a couple of things per year, at least Mm -hmm. on the movie front. And then they've been doing a lot of stuff from Warner Brothers Animation, which actually, I mean, we kind of mentioned this is is some fantastic things. I I would say that uh, you, you you can tell me if I'm wrong. DC, in terms of their universe very much doesn't have a roadmap that connects all of these properties. It feels like as soon as they get a hold of something that works, they start giving it to the creators to go off and do their own thing. And if it ties into another film or a franchise or something great, but I don't really feel that they care about that the way that Marvel does Marvel. You're not releasing a film unless it plays into this ultimate phase one, two, three, four, and it sets up for the next thing. I mean, it they've got this sucker, what, planned out for the next 10 years or something. Even the TV shows that they're doing all play into the Marvel Universe. DC very much. I mean, the Harley Quinn animated TV series is a great example, and the CW network. Um, we kind of talked about this. The King Shark that you find in every version popping out between TV and films, et cetera, It's different every time. Sometimes he's really smart. Sometimes he's surfer dude. Sometimes he's really dumb. And uh, they take creative license with all these characters. They're not really worried about making sure this all works. I mean, that's a fair assessment, right? Yeah. I I don't mind DC's approach to not having everything be so connected all the time. It, It, as a viewer... I can say, well, I'm not into say Shazam. So I'll skip it because I know, you know, the next film comes out, you know, I'm not missing a whole lot with Marvel. I feel like it's homework. A lot of times it's like, well, I have to watch this show because the next time another movie comes out, I don't want to be, I want to make sure I get everything. Um, And, you know, we have the Batman coming out in 2022. We're like, 
I, I don't think that connects to anything. I think it's just the just a movie, and I like I kind of like going and just seeing just a movie. It's it, it's I don't know, man. You get it? Like it's just a lot of work to keep up with Marvel. Well, not only that, but it, yeah, you're right in the sense that it's kind of like a two edged sword. I mean, as you, as you both said. Marvel has a plan, right? So they're they're developing these movies to tie into each other. Their stories, especially on Disney Plus, tie into the movies, and they're tying into Phase Two and then Phase Three. Um, whereas DC, it's it's they they have a plan, <clears throat> which is to to your point, Brad. We're going to put out a movie, hopefully get an audience, so we can keep putting out these types of movies, right? Um, but it, the the two edged sword is okay. I've seen this movie. Um, one of Troy's favorites uh, from the other year, uh, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. Oh, uh, he was <laughs> terrible. You know, it, it's one of you, you go see that if you want to go see a movie about Wonder Woman. That's not the one you want to watch. No, right? Because if there's a third one coming, which I heard rumored, to I'm sure there is. Yes, because yeah. even though um, eighty four made money, so yeah, it's it's one of those things you you kind of like hesitate, you know. Uh, do I really want to go see that? I saw the I saw eighty four. I wasn't too thrilled about that. Th- that's kind of how like I think. But what about the stones? The stones. What about the stones? But you know, which again makes me crazy when I when when the DC animated writers when they plan their their movies, their shorts, their features, they need to talk to these the the, the, the other studio because I, I just don't get it right. Like one of the DC animated sh- movies that came out, I think it was two years ago, was Justice League Dark. Oh yeah, uh, that had Constantine. Right, he was the, he was the main protagonist. But what I loved about it was it brought in the other aspects of the DC universe outside of Superman and Batman, the House of Mystery, Swamp Thing. All that kind of stuff. So as a fan, I was like, oh, man, this was so awesome. And then, you know, after that, it's Suicide Squad. And you're like, what What the hell am I watching here? Because, hey, I, I'll say this out of <laughs> out of all the DC stuff from last year, my favorite uh, property was Batman Soul of the Dragon, which I think came out in 2021. That and was, that oh, was yep, yep. Batman, you know, awesome. in the 70s. Yeah. And, and yes, I, I have a. Uh, Yes, come on. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. it's got a Jim Kelly character, it's got a Bruce Lee character, and I, <laughs> I loved it. Mark Dacascus does a voice for it, so um, I absolutely loved it. But you know, outside of it just scratching my itch for martial arts and Batman, it's it's a really good story and it's done really well. It's yeah. tightly paced, um, and it and it shows the quality of what they're really doing with those DC films. So I'm I'm with you, John. I I wish they would pull some of those writers out and pull them over. Maybe they have. And it just hasn't translated well into film, but no, I don't think they have. I think James Gunn is probably going to be, uh, unfortunately, with the Suicide Squad. James Gunn showed how it can be done and most likely should be done um, for a fun movie. So, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit further because I have my own reasons why I think it bombed. Okay, I will. I will say the when the Marvel movies culminate into moments, though, they are pretty gigantic and oh, they yeah. pay off really well i mean yeah, in game yeah. there's there's some moments in in game where you're just like i'm losing my mind right now because i've been watching investing all this time and uh you know when captain america picks up that damn hammer it's like okay i um, my dick moved just a little bit yeah <laughs> you know? <laughs> no well, and I, I'm, I'm not saying one's better than the other i just i like that dc 
is doing something different to where they will go out and say, we'll do a very serious drama uh, on the Joker. And it sits by itself. I, I love that aspect of it. I like that, you know, Shazam and its sequel and Black Adam were kind of its own thing. And it's not really tying into anything else. So I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I really, I think that approach is kind of refreshing. Yeah, but aren't they going to try to kind of bring everything together with that Flashpoint movie? Like, well, I, I mean, maybe. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I, we'll see. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, the I reason mean, they're doing it that way is because they failed it, right? If yeah. Justice League was a success, they would, everything would be connected, but they, they tried to rush. They had that one scene in Batman versus Superman where there's a flash drive with, you know, four logos on it. And they're like, see, we're bringing it. We're, you know, we're uniting the four or whatever it was. And then, um, yeah, so they I screwed up. They didn't have yeah, a Kevin Feige, man. Like they, did, they didn't have a guy at the center that could handle it. I, I think they tried to make Zack Snyder that guy. And I, I don't think he was good to oversee that, you know. He's not a good enough writer. Well, yeah. It, I think that's what it comes down to. So I think Marvel well, just had a better better uh, model at doing this and, than DC. And that's what I'm saying. You know, James Gunn kind of, he, he, he embodies what, I think sometimes when you get into comic book movies, what a lot of the directors, writers need to do, right? You need to really get into the material and become a fanboy because if you're not a fan of what you're reading and stuff like that, you're 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 kind of predestined to fail a little bit, you know, like like Zack Snyder, like you guys said, um, Wonder Woman original was a, a huge success. Man of Steel was a success, right? Uh, Dark Knight movie, Batman alone, you had the opportunity to really bring stuff in um where i thought uh, you know to my my chagrin that you know the the long play for dc's movies were it was going to be the justice league and the legion of doom because they kept dropping hints of you know um lex luther all other you know cheetah you know a lot of uh mantis you know some of the core characters from the legion of doom so i thought there were potential roads they could have had but i think a lot of times well as evidence they, they definitely dropped the ball on a lot of this stuff yep well let, let's get into this one let's specifically talk about 2021's the suicide squad now john you and i have seen it so i want to start with brad brad's coming in with a fresh look first time view i'm curious you sat down you watched james gunn's version uh what you think of it I really, really enjoyed this movie. I did have some qualms with it, which I'll get to later, but it's really funny. Uh, it doesn't take itself too serious. Again, we have a giant shark walking around. I don't know how serious of a movie you could make when there's, you know, uh, a shark walking around and uh, a guy named Captain Boomerang. Um, I kind of like how they just kill off a bunch of people at the beginning. Uh, you know, when you do that in the first act, you kind of set up that. People will die in a movie, which I like. There are stakes in this. Um, Viola Davis, uh, once again, is amazing, and she's playing worse, a more worse character than in the original uh, movie, which, again, is, is nice to see kind of her turned up to 11 on the evil scale. Um, I really liked it. I thought everyone, you know, you have like Idris Elba, playing this character and he's on screen a lot. And you're like, you know what? I love Will Smith. Uh, he was kind of sleepwalking in that other movie, but he just is like killing it in this movie for no reason. Like there's no reason he should give 110% with this role, but he is, and it is amazing. Um, John Cena is a really funny 
uh, character in this movie. And uh, I enjoyed kind of their banter. Um, it's amazing, though, how there was moments in this movie where I was saying, where's Harley Quinn? Um, I, I feel like she's off of the screen a lot. And then in the third act basically comes back and is is kind of one of the main heroes, obviously. Um, like I said earlier, they don't over-sexualize her character at all. Like she's just allowed to be a female superhero, which is pretty great. Um, she wears a dress and like, it's not really a thing, you know? And it's like pretty awesome that she is just a kick-ass, you know, woman in this movie. Um, another benefit is there's no Joker in this movie. There's no Jared Leto. Uh, that really is like a huge sort of benefit in this movie. When you notice him not being in the movie, you're like, wow, he was really the worst part of that original movie. Um, and it really sort of weighed that movie down a lot. Um, yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed it. I finished it. And then I was like, you know what? My wife would really like that. Like if she wants to watch it in the next few days, like I would immediately turn around and watch it again. Cause I know, there's so much stuff going on in this movie uh, with characters and this and that. And I'm sure there's stuff I didn't pick up on because I'm not a DC person, but um, I would definitely watch this again. You know, the writing really stands out in this as something that is just really playful, really colorful, the music. Um, you know, I, I think it is a lot at times. Like it's a lot. There's a lot going on. Um but again, you get the the body, not body horror, but a lot of oh, you blood do and, you do get a lot of body horror. In this yeah, I, I guess you're yeah. right. Uh, I mean, in the first 15 minutes, a walking weasel drowns in this movie, and then at the very end, comes back to life. Um, so that's what this movie is. It's it's really weird. It's really funny, um, and it's something that DC really needs. Like. I get it, man. Like the dark Knight was a revelation to us all, but not, not everything has to be the dark Knight. Not everything has to be grounded in reality. When you have a freaking giant shark walking around, maybe let's be a little playful. Um, you can definitely kind of connect the dots between this movie and guardians. So like the now is literally Groot, and you know, you have a, you know, kind of a rat character that is kind of like, you know, the girl, the rat catcher two is basically rocket in a way. And there's a lot of sort of similarities in those, um, you know, one takes place in outer space. The other one doesn't, but there are some like character traits that you can kind of connect one-to-one, but no, man, I really enjoyed it. Um, it really, really makes me think that that 2016, like does not even need to exist um, <laughs> with this with this one around. So, okay. okay. That's my thoughts. All right, John. Second time watching it, maybe third, fourth. I don't know how many times you watched it since the theater. But what? What's uh, this? What, actually, was the second time. So oh, okay. After the first time, the theaters, you know, walked away. Um, I think Brad had all the points that I was going to say. I mean, it was fun. Uh, kids had fun. Wife had fun. We all enjoyed it. Um, when I watched it again um, this past week, it, it was it was more interesting having diving into a little bit of the history of the, of the, of the suicide squad itself to just see and appreciate the lengths that which um, James Gunn kind of brings a lot of the source material to the screen. And it's, it's subtle stuff, you know, like task force X, 
that wasn't until John Ostander got into it, right? It was originally Suicide Squad, but now it's Task Force X. Task Force X. Wow, I need a drink. Um, it it really was fun. I appreciated the pacing, the stories, uh, the storylines within it. Um, the competition between Idris Elba and John Cena, um, I thought was was funny. Um, especially what was the line? Um, you know, no one likes to show off except when you look really fucking good doing it. We Damn, he's right. Fu- when yeah, you look dope, look dope as fuck. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's right. You know, I mean? stuff like yeah. you know, it's it's great stuff. Um, TDK, Javelin, even though they're minor characters, um, when I started digging into them, like Savant, Michael Rooker's character, it's like, wow, they kind of got close to you know what he really appears like in the comic books. But man, he just like wimped out really hardcore, and he's supposed to be a genius, and he in the comics he works with the birds of prey um so it was kind of interesting to see that blackguard david peterson i kind of glad he got his face shot off um <laughs> he's just annoying as hell um pete, pete davidson pete davidson whatever the hell his name is <laughs> mr annoying smart water man um but yeah it, it was interesting again uh flag and <sighs> i like joel i i loved him in altered carbon I thought that was one of the best. Oh yeah, that's a good. That was a good sci-fi show. Shows to ever come out in the last five years, ten years, um, and, and I'm glad to see that he he reprised his role and kind of expanded upon his role because this version of of Rick Flag is is more akin to what I was reading about uh, historically in the comics, and it was it was a shame some of the plot twists coming through, but. You mean you didn't like Rick Flag when he was in love with Enchantress and all that stuff? Yeah, I know. No, no, no. yeah, no, I, I, yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's so deep and rich. Um, what Suicide Squad has, I mean, hell, Flag fought Batman. I mean, come on, how, how cool is that? Um, to see it come together and come to come onto the screen and have it presented in such a way, I mean, again. To be a fanboy, to bring it out, Starro, Starro the Conqueror, he showed up in the the Brave and the Bold. I mean, he was Silver Age, right? Wasn't he one of the first villains the Justice League went up against? He was early, early villain. Justice League, yes, yes. Dark Side and one of his minions were one of the first. Uh, was the first Brimstone? That was the guy's name. Was what the first villain that the Suicide Squad way back when went yeah. up against? But yeah, I mean, Starro the Conqueror. Um, fanboy to the silver age uh incarnation of it came came through um in, in the movie and very little to complain about there were some janky moments but overall again it was a fun film it was everything i was hoping the first suicide suicide squad would be but wasn't this film to me delivered and again i have my reasons why it didn't do successfully in, in, in the box office but um, it, it was just as much fun watching it a second time and there will be a third time. It was just fun. Okay. I, I will say this, what I really loved about the marketing and I don't know how much you guys remember this. They, they really showed a lot of the first, maybe 15 minutes of the film. And you, you really thought the people in the commercial were going to be playing a pivotal role in the entire film. <laughs> And then you find out they're they're wiped out in the first 10, 15 minutes, which I thought was kind of hilarious. I, I didn't expect that. 
and the movie is an abundance of charisma and place playfulness. I mean, there's no doubt to it. My only hesitation about falling completely in love with it on my first viewing was it really felt too much like guardians of the galaxy, how you said it, Brad, I'm watching these characters, uh, in the back half and I'm, I'm like, okay, this is an adult version of Groot and rocket and everything else. Um, and it was meeting that sensibility and humor of Deadpool. So I wasn't blown away on my first viewing. I liked it a lot, but I really felt like I'd seen the film before, except for the, the sort of Starro Kaiju moment at the end that really <laughs> surprises me. Um, but in fact, the movie made me want to kind of revisit guardians and Deadpool, but more importantly, it really made me want to go back and revisit the Harley Quinn animated series. And I was so bonkers of that series, still am. And I think it's because Kaylee um, Cuoco, is that how you say your last name? Mm-hmm. Kaylee Cuoco, yeah. Yeah, I like her Harley a little bit more than Margot Robbie's version, even though it's animated. I, j- I just like the the playfulness of the dialogue. I, I got to say, though, the second time around, because I've only seen this in the theater and I sat down to watch it again. Uh, I feel like I got more out of it the second time. I think once your expectations are in place, this film is a total blast. It's one that I think grows on me more and more, except one part. I I think Margot's Harley Quinn gets a little more annoying on the second viewing, and it really comes down to her comedy. I think the comedy bits um, in the last third of the film feel way forced compared to everybody else. Um, and, and I, I think you nailed it. There's, there's that whole sequence between Idris and, and John Cena when they're going through that camp and Dude, that camp sequence is one of the funniest <laughs> things well, I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it there the are conclu- two, the conclusion of that scene is so perfect. It, it is. <laughs> and there are two things in that camp sequence that I have tears down my eyes. The first is when King shark is in the background, like scurrying up to that guy and it and it looks you see his fin in the jungle and then you see him trying to you know hide and all of a sudden he just jumps up and bites that guy i just i bust out laughing and then when you have these two characters you know peacemaker and bloodsport going through and who can kill the person the best and how they're going at each other is absolutely hilarious and that comedy and the writing and their delivery and their timing is just pitch perfect and then there's these sequences where I think they give Margot, you know, these lines. And don't be wrong, there's some stuff I like that she does in there, especially when she escapes that whole uh, sequence. I think it's great choreography, and I like visually how these flowers start coming into it, and you kind of see her psychosis at play. I, I like that a lot. But these comedic lines that she's kind of forced upon when they're having an argument over. Um, the the bus driver who's been helping Milton? him out. Milton. Oh, I yeah, love the Milton, Milton. because I noticed that Milton was going up with them. And I yeah. was like, why is the bus driver going? And then when he dies and they bring it to the attention, I was like, oh, perfect. Because yeah. he was there. I, I wanted them to, to call attention to the fact that the guy who was driving the bus was there. But yeah. Yeah, her, her part in that just seemed odd. And then even her stepping out of the bus and going, oh, I love the rain because it feels like the angels splooge. I mean, yeah, there, that one, that was stupid. That was like, okay. There's too many moments where Harley, I, I feel like James Gunn either didn't give her the stuff that was good enough for Harley Quinn. And again, this could be me thinking about the animated series because they have everything that was came, coming out of 
that Harley Quinn is just comic gold. Um, and you do that in your brain sometimes, right? Especially if you have like two people playing that character, you're always going, which one's better. And I, I think one of the best things out of 2016 was Margot Robbie. Um, and I like her in this. I just, the thing that got on my nerves the second time around was her comedic timing wasn't as good as everybody else in the film. And in that Milton exchange, I think is a good example of she, I didn't buy her part of it. I bought everybody else's part of that sort of Abbott and Costello exchange. I didn't get hers. Hers felt like acting versus I felt like the other characters, um, especially the polka dot guy was really upset. Milton died and I bought that part of it. Yeah. I didn't buy her like, well, who is Milton? I mean, it, it just, it didn't ring true. But other than that, I, I really, I really liked it second time around, but I just noticed myself not enjoying Margot Robbie as much on, on this version. And I, I think the reason is my brain's going, ah, uh, she's not as good as that animated series. And and that's probably not her fault. So it's no, a different I, performance. I, the physical part of it is, is big as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ironically, like, like you, you got in your brain, you know, the animated Harley Quinn in my brain, when I see Margot Ro- Ro- Robbie, I got Wolf of wall street in my brain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she's fantastic. But, I think she's an amazing actress. I just, she is. And that's where it kills me. Like you said, I do agree. Some who, of the, who, some what of the, are you a fucking owl? Like, <laughs> 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 you know, when she's trying to be funny, it, it, it comes off. Like you said, you can feel that it's forced, yeah. but like when she's shot, uh, what was his name? Silvio, the, the, the Presidente. And she's giving her speech. She's like, I promised myself, you know, that was, that, that was, was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a great scene. You know, yeah, you know, um, but like you said, the Milton part, not so funny, but when they're giving the speech to the thinker, like, you know, if you cough and don't cover your mouth, I didn't like that kidding? at all. I thought that was really, forced. yeah, so I thought it, I thought it flowed. I think but, for me, it's that last third, like everything that uh, she was doing in the first and second part, I really liked, but it really came down. I, and I can tell you the moment it was that, um, when they're going against the thinker and saying, if you do this, we're going to kill you. And then she's, I'm pacing back and forth. If you dude, don't the cover your mouth, plates is pretty good. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I do like that. <laughs> yeah. it, but, but to me that felt forced and everything from then on from her just wasn't jiving in comparison to everything else that was going on. Again, it's my opinion. I liked everything that she was doing. I love that speech when she murders that guy and says, I was with you up until the kids. And oh, you know what? You actually look better this way when you're laying on the ground. I loved all of that. I loved her being interrogated, everything else. But as soon as she starts sort of forcing the, in my opinion, forcing the jokes from the rooftop sequence on, I think she comedically is out of sync with everybody else. Yeah, no, I could agree with that. Well, and I think you could, that might be, cause there's just some star Lord stuff in volume two of, of guardians that I kind of get that same way about. And I just wonder Absolutely. sometimes if there's, yeah. if there's some forcing of jokes, especially in the third act to, to cut down on the tension a little bit, that seems like ah, this is kind of out of place for this. And it seems forced. So no, I mean, I agree with you. I, some of it works for me that doesn't work for you, but I can see if it doesn't, it's like, okay, come on. Like let's, let's fight the Kaiju here. Let's, let's get going. And there's the, a Kaiju in this movie, by the way, the King shark stuff consistently is funny throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and John Cena consistently funny Idris Elba hilarious. I mean, Margot Robbie is the only one that I feel like 
James Gunn relied on her from a scripting perspective. And I think Guardians 2 is a great example. From a scripting perspective, it came down to we've, we're, we're ratcheting up the tension. We're transitioning from a we got to blow you know this place up, which is like a war film, into a kaiju film. And in order to keep the jokes going, we've got Margot Robbie in the background doing the stuff. And it didn't work for me. But everybody else, what they were doing, the King Shark stuff was fantastic. I, I was laughing consistently. But when she opened her mouth, it was like, I, again, I don't know if it just was her timing or if the material wasn't good enough, but it just it was really forced. I think it's a bit of both. I, I mean, like you said, the Milton part, because she brings it up. You know, she brings the Milton joke up again. The know, second part they bring it when they bring up Milton again. Yeah. When he calls her yeah, a Milton, I was like, you're that's beating a okay. dead cat. We're, yeah. we're done with we're done with that joke. We're a dead weasel. Yeah. You're beating a dead yeah. weasel. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, so I, I will tell you that I at, at one point in time at the very end where Ratcatcher 2 is walking up to King Shark. I was like, he's going to eat her. Cause like, <laughs> you know, because there's a part where, you know, he's trying to eat somebody and she's like, if I'm your friend, would you eat me? I was like, man, it'd be so funny if at the very end he just ate her. But I mean, I get why they didn't, but man, I was hoping that was going to pay off, but, but it was funny. Cause every time the, the second time going around my wife, I had my wife chuckling a little bit because or, or maybe I was just chuckling myself up, but like every time like King Shark's going around and he's just like you said, he jumps out of the bushes and he grabs somebody. I'm sitting there going, Land Shark. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> Land Shark. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you one of the most I really I was I was a big fan of that character the first time around. I really enjoyed what they did with this character in terms of the combination of the CGI practical effects and Sylvester Stallone's voice. And specifically, I, where I think there are some genius parts here is when everybody's in the bar trying to capture the thinker and he's sitting in the bus and watching his expression, the CGI and stuff they do, you really feel that character sitting in the bus. I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's beating, he's going along with the music too, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh man, that sucks. He's got to sit there all along. It is. You really just love this character. And then the other sequence, which is probably the most gruesome, but it's the most James Gunn sequence too, is when King Shark is ripping a guy in half and then you see it in the middle. And and I read something about this and I thought it was so impressive. The shark portion is the CGI element, but the guy being ripped, that is all a practical like dummy effect. Yep. And that's all practical Ooh. effects. And you can't tell the difference. The shark looks real. Obviously, the guy being ripped in half is real. Uh, not a real Tom guy, Savini. but it's real. Yeah, Tom, Tom <laughs> but it's it's amazing. And I, I I just I am so impressed. I, I would say out of all the films from 2021, the the special effects sequences with King Shark and everything they do with him is, is just it's brilliant. Yeah, uh, but that, here's an example of, of like just comparing apples to apples here. So the Suicide Squad has king shark right yeah uh suicide squad had killer croc look at how different those characters are treated in this and how better one is written than the other and you can automatically tell just based on one character that you're going to have a better time in in one movie than the other oh, Killer absolutely. croc was yeah. like just abysmal in that yeah. movie like he tried to make a bt joke at one point in time you're like no this is not funny at all um so like the writing helps solve a lot of issues, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it, it's just, if you have a funny movie and it's written well, it flows well. 
one of my gripes with this movie is sort of those time changes where they're like eight minutes earlier, uh, 15 minutes, you know, like they, they do these things where they show something and then they'll go back in time. And I'm like, I don't know if exactly if we, we needed that's like why they just couldn't show things in the order they happen, but I'm not a filmmaker. So obviously well, yeah. I mean, those choices were made, but I don't really think they changed the film for better or worse in at some point in time. It's just distra- distracting. Yeah. I mean, thankfully they didn't do too much of that, but you know, circling back to the, the King shark ripping the dude in half. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the first time I saw that on the screen, not only did I go, Holy shit. That looks awesome, but it hit kind of home because if you think about that could actually be like a comic book cover if it was a King Shark series, you know what I mean? And that's what I really loved about how they brought it out. Like, Brad, you're right. Killer Croc, he looked like the lizard from Spider-Man 2, Amazing Spider-Man 2. I mean, sorry. I mean, King Shark in this movie, I mean, you're introduced to him. He's He's reading a book upside down. (laughs) <laughs> you know it's all those small details about him i mean the whole you know? mustache thing for his disguise oh, yeah. mustache and it what bird it's like stay off the comms and then i'm going who gave him a radio in the first place <laughs> yeah how do you get a radio who gives, who gives the shark the radio you know so i, I appreciate those little details it, it was it, man <laughs> yeah, it, it I, I think that so that's a great example of where the movie really shines. I mean, the major players and major cast are fantastic, but I think my favorite thing about the film, especially and I, I probably appreciated this more on the second viewing, is how refreshing some of these things are. So when you even when you talk about like the the how they play with time and you go, okay, we're gonna get to this point in the story, and then oh, three minutes earlier this happens, and then it comes to this event. I kind of appreciated that. I, I like the fact that the narrative is always trying to take you off guard. And I really like the fact that supporting details or supporting characters or things going on in the background end up becoming as much fun to watch as what's sort of transpiring in front of you or the central focus. And and I think that's where James Gunn really excels is the detail and the surrounding details to the story. It, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, how else were they going to pull off telling two sequences of events showing two sequences of events that are happening at the same time without trying to do like the comic book, you know, uh, panel tile at the same time, which did not work for Hulk, you know, sorry. Um, So I I appreciated that it was minutes, not like, you know, two months earlier or, you know, two days earlier. No, it was, it was right in between. You're like, okay, that was going on while this was going on. Okay. I, I dig it now. Cool. I have the perfect movie that James Gunn needs to direct and write. What's that? I got was getting those vibes from this movie borderlands. Oh, I was getting a strong yes. borderlands vibe with this movie. That would be and I think if James Gunn directed and wrote borderlands, I would be there day one minute one. What's borderlands. Um, oh, it's, oh, yes. It's a, I'm just kidding. Yes, I am. Oh, just God. That yes. look on your face. Holy cow. No, John, <laughs> I would expect you to like know that for, Oh, um, oh my God. I, I do have a question. And the best actor goes to uh, <laughs> John. John uh, you, you had talked about this, John. I'm curious about your theory. I, I'm curious about your view too, Brad. So of, of all the films that came out last year, the ones that succeeded versus the ones that bombed. And, and let's face it, there are a lot of box office bombs. We'll, we'll be picking from 2021 for a while. 
Um, yeah, 2021 will keep the show on the air for a long, <laughs> yeah, for a long, long time. time. <laughs> it was not a good year in the theater. Uh, but why, why did this thing just not take hold? And I am curious about why this one didn't do well versus jungle cruise and, and take away the ratings and, and the demographic and everything. Obviously something PG 13 is going to have a wider audience and it's Disney. And I, I get all of that but I'm really surprised why something like Deadpool does so well and the suicide squad doesn't. So John, you said you had a theory why you think this one kind of bombed. All right. So let me, let me address the jungle cruise jungle, whatever the hell that movie was called. Cause I watched it. What a piece of garbage. It's um, not that bad. It's not the only reason why it made money. Disney bought the tickets, right? Everywhere I went was trying to give away free tickets to go see jungle cruise. So if it was that awesome, they wouldn't be giving away free tickets. Okay. So my theory um, on why this movie in particular did not do so well comes down to two words, John Cena. Oh, okay. Okay. So remember back, uh, what was it? March when he said Thailand was a free country or yeah, a country. (laughs) country, And then he goes on to apologize to China Saying, you know, I'm sorry. I said it was a country. I love you guys. Please, 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 please. Wait, Thailand's and, on a Thailand's on a country or Ta- Taiwan? Oh, okay. I said Whatever. Thailand. Taiwan. Taiwan. No. You know, Taiwan is the one that's in U.S. Apart, Russian yeah. part. It's all made in Taiwan. Um, but he apologized for that, and the backlash that he continued to get from China, even though he apologized for it, uh, didn't help. Uh, Fast and Furious Nine, and I think the news of him doing that also put him in a bad light because I don't think he's ever circled back to explain his side of the story of why he apologized for it. And people saw John Cena coming out with another movie after he's, you know, groveling before China um, that people were turned off from it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's one of the reasons why I, I, I could give two tosses about Peacemaker and the show. I, I really don't want to watch it. Because even though I can appreciate what he did in Suicide Squad, how he lives taking a bullet through the juggler, but Flag doesn't live, um, it just didn't make sense to me. And again, Cena, his his political overtures, I think, hurt him in securing a, a, a potential success with this movie. I think if he had not done that and he's part of the promotion and all that marketing stuff. I think, I think you could have seen a little bit better turnout. That's my theory. So, but that's contingent on John Cena being that big of a box office draw. But I think he could, I think he was like, um, what was the movie he was in with Wahlberg and what's his, uh, daddy's home too. Was he in daddy's home too? Was he in it? Yeah. Christmas time. All that good stuff. He was a, He's in that movie blockers blockers. I didn't care much for the Marine, but I think his potential moving past the Marine or whatever, as part of a superhero film, he had the draw because again, he looks ridiculous, um, but they teased just enough out of the previews in the, in the sneak peeks uh, that there was some interest in it. And, you know, having watched him in the movie, I was like, man, what if what if he just didn't you know bend the knee and grovel like a little little bitch uh to china 
Uh, that's just again, that's my theory. Yeah, the the um, o- the only issue I have with that is I'm looking at his filmography and and if you're thinking about 2021 probably should have been his breakout action year between F9, which came out earlier in the year, and then this one. Those were his two high-profile ones. Right. He, he had a video, I, I think a movie come out on Vudu or Hulu or something, Vacation Friends. But leading up to that, he he was a voice in Doolittle. He was in Playing With Fire, which was sort of a family comedy, which I think tanked. Um, he was in Bumblebee, Agent Burns, which was a bit of a hit. He's actually pretty good in that movie. He's good. He was in Blockers, which I do like that film. He's, he's actually a a highlight of it, but I don't think Blockers was like huge. He's really funny in Trainwreck. Yes. And, and I think up to that point, um, I, all of these films weren't like in the hundred million, 200 million mark. F nine was probably the first one where it was coming. So I think he was building up to something and you know, he's, we talked about this when we talked about raging fire. I mean, he's, he's got a movie in the can with Jackie Chan. That's been sitting there for two years because of it. Maybe you're right. Cause China doesn't want to release it because they think he's uh, overshadowing Jackie Chan. Um, but they're really not going to release it because of his comments here this year on, you know, Taiwan being yeah. a country. I, I just look at that filmography and I don't think the public was going to buy tickets for John Cena no. per se. No, no. And as that, much as I love no. Idris Elba too, no one's, I don't think you're, I mean, he was in Pacific Rim. I think Pacific Rim is an awesome movie. Yeah. And that wasn't a huge hit. I mean, it was, it was enough to get a sequel that was even, that did worse than the first one. Ugh. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I honestly think it's like getting sprayed by a skunk. That stink of 2016 was still hanging around. Um, it affected birds of prey and it affected this movie. I think it's easy to just say that 2016 film was still on people's mind. And people remember hating that movie and being like, I'm not going to go see another suicide squad. That movie sucked. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't think, I think from a film franchise, this whole Harley Quinn as a film franchise, because between the suicide squad, 2016 birds of prey in 2020 and this one, I just don't think these characters on their own are there. There's nothing for the general public, the general non comic book um, reader deep into the, into that lore. There's nothing to grasp onto. Is it, is it a, is it one of the best films that came out in 2021? I think this movie is like, this would be in my top 10, a hundred percent. I really like this film. I like that birds. I think birds of prey is really good too. Like I, I, I think that I, I liked it too. Um, yeah. not as much as this one. No, no, yeah. but I did like it much, much better than suicide squad. Yeah. I think, and I think I, it's been getting better, but I, I almost do think that 2016, everybody looked at this and I, I think it also begs the question, like outside of the fanboys and maybe the pop culture nerds or those who pay attention to James Gunn, I don't know if James Gunn actually carries that much weight outside of Guardians. And even then, when I look at Guardians, I don't know if James Gunn carries as much weight as Chris Pratt and um, Rocket well, and Groot and those I characters. That was coming off this nice wave of Marvel films. They were, and that one was a different film and i just think it hit at the right time and it reviews were like oh this is really good i don't know anything about guardians but i'll go see it um and i I think it just caught that wave 
Um, and and it was a word of mouth movie there for a while. People were like, yeah, you have to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. It's really good. It's really funny. It's well written. Um, and Chris Pratt guy is really good. Like all this stuff. Yeah, but I, um, but I think Guardians, like the success of Guardians, even though we can sit here and go look at how it's directed and how well it's written, I think the general public looked at those characters and looked at Chris Pratt, Vin Diesel's voice, Bradley Cooper, Zoe, um, Dave Batista. They fell in love with the people in front of the screen, and that's where it clicked for them. With the Suicide Squad, I don't think there's anything in front of the screen for the public to to gravitate to and just fall in love with if you if you don't pay attention to the writing and the directing and everything else. I don't know. This, this is one of those films that, to me, it's so weird and it has all the things that I like, but all the things that I like, I know are are not going to bring the masses in. Like if if you gave me a hundred million dollars to make a movie, that'd be the worst hundred million dollars to spend ever. <laughs> because if I were to put the stuff that I put on screen, it would be stuff like the Suicide Squad. I'm amazing. Jackie this. Chan just ripping someone in half, like exactly. You know, pulling <laughs> yeah. throats out like McGruber. I, heck yeah, man. <laughs> McGruber, um, yeah. But yeah, I Some just celery. I looked at this and it a it surprised me they got that much money to make it and b at no point in time did I ever think they were going to get that money back because uh, I don't think as much as they're saying James Gunn's the Suicide Squad it James Gunn doesn't bring people to the movie theater well I, it brings a certain number of people to the movie theater not but not enough million. to make up yeah. 165 million dollar budget yeah I mean it, it's For hard to 85. say because I, I think every I think you guys have. All, mentioned all the valid points word of mouth james gunn marketing and all that good stuff but i think circling back i think that's again what could hurt it word of mouth you said who's in front of the screen margot robbie uh joel kinnaman idris elba i mean come on that's like a that's like a dream squad right there john cena he has a huge following in you know the wrestling world he had he would have brought those fans into the into the movie seats to to watch him Right. But I think at the time in that in part of his wrestling career, I think people were kind of over John Cena at that point in time. Uh, he was, uh, he's still, I think he's tied or now surpassed, surpassed uh, Ric Flair as the, the most championships in wrestling history. Mm. Um, so he still has a very popular following. I, um, I do. I and think- I, I agree with you, John, that his comments hurt this thing because that played in the news. But again, right. and the timing couldn't have been worse because he did it in March. And in August, you're just four sh- short months away. You got a new movie coming out. So I think, you know, a lot of factors still didn't play. I, I will admit too, COVID still sucks. And that did not help things at all either. Oh, I, yeah, I, but we've, we yeah. see other films that came out around that time do two, three, four, five times better. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, yes, yes. COVID definitely hurt this movie's bottom line. The simultaneous release on HBO Max because you're looking. Spider Man didn't have that. Venom didn't have that. Chang Chi didn't have that. Uh, actually, no of the other films. This is the only superhero film in our top, in our list of six, in our top 100 that was simultaneous released on HBO Max and in the theaters. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it was the grand experiment of releasing it in the theaters and streaming at the same time. Like, let's see what this does. You know, well, you had a really good film that could have really made you some good money had you really stuck with it, um, you know, in, in the right way. Because, like, like Troy, we're not subscribed. So, 
Yeah. No, yeah. and yeah, I th- I, I think this is a film where if you if you take the COVID that was like okay. Sorry, I think Black Widow was released on Disney Plus. Yeah, it was same day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because remember uh, she's suing them. Yeah, for... she did sue. Well, yeah, they settled. Yeah. They settled. Oh, that's right. But I, it still comes down to so to your point, John. Um, uh, John Cena, those comments probably hurt twenty million dollars. I'm just making numbers up here, but let's say it didn't get twenty million dollars for that comment because those were the people that. Probably we're going to go see a John Cena film and we're like, nope, he said that I'm not going. Uh, it probably hurt because same day streaming, that was probably another 20, 30, $40 million there. I think this is just a film that at the end of the day, wasn't going to make that back because it took four or five things happening at the same time that chipped away at 20 million here, 30 million here. And it was like, okay, maybe under the right conditions on a full moon, et cetera, this thing was going to do what birds of prey did maybe 250, 300 million. Cause birds of prey, I, I think birds of prey only cost 95 million or something. Yeah. I mean, you have way less cast to pay in that movie. And yeah. I definitely didn't spend in the costume department. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things where if you look at what it was trying to do and what it ended up, ended up doing, it cost about $85 million and it made 201. And so I think this one was probably on a good release under the right conditions without one of your stars going out and shooting his mouth off. Um, it probably could have made 250. So if, if they had given James Gunn, I, I think they gave James Gunn a lot of money and a lot of creative control because they got the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. And James Gunn was like, hey, I'm I'm let go. I'll go work for you. Uh, and, and it was a just perfect storm for him to make a lot of cash last year in terms of also getting signed up to do guardians of the galaxy three after he got fired from it. <laughs> 2021 was James Gunn's year, no doubt, but I you know, 2021 sucked for everybody, but James, Gunn, <laughs> James like, Gunn show me the money is the winner of 2021. Um, even more so than Scarlett Johansson and in, in the settlement and everything else. So, uh, well, yeah, I mean, so for me, kudos to James Gunn, because after the the little hiatus he had to take, I think his opportunity to come back and make a, a movie that was fun, kick ass um, all around, you know, a, a good time for 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 what you pay. I think he hit a home run. I, I think as, as we're all talking about with the different theories and stuff, the circumstances really just did not help his return to the big screen, I guess you could say. Um because again, watching this movie a second time, and again, we'll watch it a third or fourth, you know, he's got it. You know, he knows how to tell a story. He knows how to make you uh, help you have fun with what you're watching. Um, and that's, that's kind of rare because uh, Brad, I think you said it you know, earlier, uh, the first suicide squad sucked, <laughs> you know? And we touched on this a little bit, but since we're talking about James Gunn, can you name a better director who, puts a a soundtrack that is just money every time i mean between say what you will about guardians of the galaxy volume two but it still had a a pretty killer soundtrack but between those two guardians films and this one james gunn knows how to pick out music for a film i, I mean i loved what he did with this one yeah scorsese's pretty good i, I would even tarantino's tell pretty good <laughs> tarantino i would think uh even if he's not Ritchie, good David Ayer's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's I, mean, I, I put him on the level of a Tarantino or Scorsese. I mean, when you start your film out with Johnny Cash, uh, I'm in, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, Folsom, Folsom Prison Blues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
it, it's hard. It, it's hard not to like a movie's soundtrack when, you know, you walk back into the kitchen and, and, you know, your kids are making a sandwich and they're go and their heads are just bobbing along to the music because it, it's killer. I mean, to what you guys mentioned, volumes one and two, you know, GOGs, my kids, they wanted both soundtracks and they love all the music. In fact, it's what helped convert them to go back and open their palette. I guess you could say in music from those ears, those varying ears. And let me tell you something. My kids are pretty smart with some of the music they're now listening to. It's, it's, <laughs> it's kick-ass stuff. Yeah. That, I, I, that's the thing. I mean, you, you mentioned Brad Tarantino Scorsese. You put James Gunn in there. I think it's really hard to take a popular song and put it with the sequence and all of a sudden not have that song stand out and it doesn't fit or you, you just go, well, that song's in that film. I think everything that he chooses for the scene and when he uses it, it fits perfectly for what's going on and it plays perfectly. Um, yeah. I, I, I know like <laughs> Redbone's uh, was that show me your love. Yeah. Show me your love, whatever. It's yes. not as iconic as Layla, but like I think of that opening of Guardians, kind of like I do the the part in like Layla in Goodfellas. Like they're kind of they shouldn't be on the same level, but they kind of are. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, you're, yeah. you're kind of right. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Is that blasphemous? Did I just did I just no. like no? I, it's it's a no. good example of using that film for your seat or mu- using the music for the sequence in your film and making it work. And all of a sudden, you don't just remember that scene and you remember the music in the scene, but the next time you hear it on the radio, all of a sudden you're referencing that sequence in the film because mm-hmm. now they've become one and the same. So, yeah. And like I said, it's, it's interesting, you know, how the music is, is chosen because like you said, for some reason or another, it, it just becomes part of that library stash in the back of your head. Um, but it what's funny is, you know, you mentioned red bone. <laughs> I showed my kids the actual music video for that song. And they're like, uh, are they fake Indian or real Indians? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no guys, this is, this is real stuff. They, they kind of made rock and roll history. Uh, I said, but is that really the point? They're like, no, it's an awesome song. <laughs> like, okay, there you go. Walk away. Um, I feel like there's one other person we should kind of talk about with this film. And it's a recurring joke that I think is one of the best uh, in the film outside of King shark. And it involves one actress, Lynn Ash. She plays polka dot man's mom, Mama. Oh, the mom, yeah. Yeah. the the mom sequences are absolutely hysterical. I, I mean, oh. we've, we've talked, uh, I think a lot about Idris and John, et cetera. But when you get to some of the lesser known characters and that's Daniela as rat catcher two and David as polka dot man, they're, they're just as good. Um, I know I, my favorite still King shark, but polka dot man is a really interesting character. And I love all the sequences when he envisions his mom, they're very disturbing. Like the dance sequence when he's, he's out on the dance floor with his mom. Oh, I lost it. I lost it. That's, that's hilarious. And then the, uh, the Kaiju, when he envisions his mom kind (laughs) of taking over, uh, again, it works. The comedy is hysterical. But uh, yeah, big shout out to Lynn Ash because absolutely hilarious, the whole thing. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, total different uh, from what he was in the comic books, but it worked. And um, again, 
James Gunn, just to his credit, the way he wrote Polka Dot Man and the sequences. <laughs> and again, it's the writing and the delivery. I mean, Idris, Idris Elba, it's like, it's your mom. <laughs> and he looks <laughs> and he turns around, does his things. I'm a fucking superhero. Oh, I was I, I was sad it. to see him go, man. Yeah, he was he was the highlight of that squad. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. My kids were none too happy to see that happen. But that's the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Well, what else? What other notes did you guys have for this one? I'm surprised how much I like. Not surprised. Well, I guess I was coming off of 2016s. I was surprised at how much I really, really enjoyed this movie and how much it made me laugh. It was just enjoyable to watch. Like, it's fun to just watch an enjoyable movie that really doesn't have a whole lot of weight to it. It's not, you know, it's not the most intellectually stimulating film you're going to watch. But again, it's not dumb and it's cleverly written. Um, It's kind of goes to show you like a film doesn't have to be super smart to be cleverly written as well. It, it it just walks that line and it's just really enjoyable. And I, I, again, if I would have seen this in 2021, it probably would have made my top 10. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. So a couple of points, you know, again, as I mentioned, J- James Gunn, just bringing the fanboy out, uh, the, the tower, the building that we're going into, they called Jotunheim. Um, that, that's from the comic books. It was all built around world war two. Uh, and they even mentioned that in the movie. Um, so again, a lot of homage to the actual source materials, in there um especially on the plane you know they're going like weasel right his first incarnation in the comics he's a guy wearing a weasel outfit what right? it was a yeah. guy in a weasel outfit yeah um <laughs> in the in the retcon and the revamps um you know he he's actually kind of like a, a like in a wear wear rat right and that's where the joke comes in where you know blackguard freaks out um the other thing i i would like to point out did you guys happen to notice flag's t-shirt uh, the yellow one. I couldn't figure out what was on it. So it was a it was a bunny. Was um, it a Bugs Bunny T-shirt? Well, yeah. Well, kinda. I, I it's a bunny with a red cape, and on the on the front, if you paid attention, it's a it's a little Warner Brothers WB like logo, and the saying um, on it. He's holding a sign up like Warner Brothers old cartoons, right? And on it, if once you translate it. Um, it says obstacles are opportunities. <laughs> oh, okay. James Gunn designed that T-shirt. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So, throwing that out there, it's a little trivia. So. Uh, you can buy them online. The you actually can. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. the The thing that stuck out to me, not just the title cards and the designs, but the amount of color and how visually colorful this film is in comparison to the 2016 is another one of my favorite things to it. Yeah, it's not brown and black. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a lot of that's fun. That's why I got the like that's why I got the like the Borderlands vibe from for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I can see it now that you mentioned that, Brad. I mean, especially like the hallway, like you said the flowers coming out when mm-hmm. they go into Starro's eye, just the colors, but yeah, like, you know, I, I Yeah, that first one was just never mind. <laughs> alone there but but yeah no it was it's a fun oh and the detachable kid you mentioned him earlier on in the show um you know they created that character if you guys watch the commentary I, I didn't even know this i thought he was i'm looking through the roster for the tdk they actually created that character just for this film 
Oh, oh, so there was some, I see the yeah. way you were talking. I'm like, well, I don't know any of these. So these have to go back obviously to 1950 or 60. How are you talking? So TDK is not a DC hero, but he was created for this film. Yeah. And I, I have to check, but it was, uh, my theory is they, they created him just for the movie. But I, and I think the way he, he does his arms. Well, if you ever collected the, some of the original DC um, action figure heroes, if you happen to, to, to detach their arms, they had the little balls on it. They actually had those little pegs with the little balls yeah. on it. So I think I that's like, how they used to handle articulation in a lot of those. Yeah. Days. So, yeah. So I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. So, you know, good on Nate Fillion. Um, I'm sorry. He didn't sing your favorite theme song. Oh, um, <laughs> he didn't wear a brown coat. He didn't wear a brown coat. Thank God. But it was, it was, I, I did like seeing those arms just smacking people. <laughs> people. Like, what was it doing? <laughs> man, that, so that beach sequence is hilarious, man. So <laughs> and I will say, um, Amanda Waller to, um, John, um, Ostrander's credit, Amanda Waller, when he developed her character, she's one of the first African-American uh, characters in a comic book who was, who was not just, you know, objectified or uh, degraded or just, you know, meaningless. I mean, she was actually um, a force to be reckoned with. And it was really, um, really cool to see her really, you know, stay kind of true to form um, in this movie. Because if you've seen, I want to say it's Arrow, they have a version of Amanda Waller yes, in there. Right. And she's now the more like 90s version of of Waller, this thin, you know, pretty, you know, cute looking lady. You know, whereas, you know, in, in Suicide Squad, this is a no nonsense, I will blow your freaking head off type of woman. Um, they called her the wall in the comic because you just can't break through her. <laughs> um, so it was just one of those interesting things to see. Uh, again, her start in the comic books translated into the movies and just brought to life because that that is Amanda Waller. And if you've seen the animated movies where she's in it, she's just she's tougher than she's tougher than diamonds. She is just a badass chick. She is freaking scary in this home. Like when you get to oh. the end and she is got ice on her head and she's looking at her team, I feared for all of them. Uh, and and I, man, that's how good Viola Davis is. I, I know we've talked about her before, but she is one of the best actresses out there. And I can't think of anybody else in this role except her. And like you said, John, she's a force to be reckoned with. And she, I don't know, she just tears up the scenery any anytime she's in it. Uh, but I, I'm literally afraid of her. Yeah, she's fierce. Uh, if I had a boss like that, man, I would. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, at the end of the movie, I'm like, oh, shit, her entire staff's going to be the entire crew of the, the detachable staff because she's going to like <laughs> oh. separate body parts left and right. She scares me more than that big starfish thing taking over people's heads. <laughs> she's she's scary. All right. Well, I, I think it's time for the question. So um, I, I'm just going to take a quick poll. I think I know where this is going to land. Brad, we'll start with you. This was your pick. Uh, 2021's The Suicide Squad. Is it a bomb? It is not a bomb. I'm happy to say that uh, this one is way better than that other one. And I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. And I look forward to enjoying it more on repeat viewings. Um, I'm trying to watch things less repeated this year and like watch new stuff. But it's going to be hard not to like throw this one back in, you know, just to, for a fun time. It's a fun superhero movie. It's a fun movie as well. So not a bomb. Awesome. 
John, how about you? Is the Suicide Squad a bomb? Negative. They they, they planted quite a few, um, but the movie itself, it's not a bomb. It's it, it was fun. It was everything I was hoping the first one would be. Um, first one, uh, sorry, Joel. I mean, he's another boxer dropper. Um, this movie. Can we get that again, T-shirt made for us? Boxer no, dropper. We, we guys should <laughs> we go ahead. Can we do <laughs> that, do please? Yeah, I think we should trademark yeah. it quick. Okay. Um, but yeah, this this movie is kind of a template that, you know, even though it didn't make the money, it did. Um, this is one of the few movies I think where you you said it earlier, Troy. The Rotten Tomatoes, a score is kind of like in parity between the critics and the audience. I mean, and everyone said, you know, it, it's actually a pretty good film. Why didn't it make the money it should have? You know, well, you know, it's like the center of a Tootsie Roll pop. We'll never figure it out. Um, but it should be a template how they move forward and, and say, if you're going to do a movie that stands alone, at least make the movie fun, vibrant with characters that, you know, they may not last a while, but I mean, Weasel jumping out and, you know, someone asking, did anyone bother to check if he could swim? I mean, that's, <laughs> that was fantastic. you know what I mean? Um, keep, keep those type of movies going. Um, don't go back to, um, the, the, the first one back, um, what was it? 2016. I think you said, yeah. Um, just, just keep these type of movies going, have fun with it. Let the audiences enjoy what, you know, should be what these superhero movies are fun you know, in its varying degrees. Awesome. I agree with you both. It's not a bomb. It's one of the uh, biggest surprises uh, of last year. And I'll say this, I, I had more fun watching it the second time. I liked it the first time. Didn't absolutely just, you know, fall in love with it. But after my second viewing, I would say, yeah, it would creep into my top 10. And uh, I can't wait to watch it again. I got a feeling this is one of those films that it's, it's just going to grow on me more and more. I love what DC's doing. I love these sort of uh, movies that just have their own identity and they kind of sit outside the universe and they're doing their own thing. And it's another example of why James Gunn is is making the money that he's making. The guy's super talented as a writer and director. And uh, I just, I wish more people had seen this in the theater. Uh, I hope Peacemaker does well on HBO Max and brings in some numbers for him. Because I, I, I want James Gunn to get more uh, opportunity to write and direct, even even if it's not in film, if it's just for TV, I, I'd love it. I just want to see what this guy does. So, Brad, we are continuing with the look back in 2021. So I get to pick next week, right? So this will be my second pick. All right. Yeah. What are you picking? I am going to pick a film that. Uh, so we've talked about this. Our good friend Randy of the show. He's one of those guys that when he tells you, hey, you should watch this, you you, you listen, right? And I, I feel ashamed because this film had showed at the um, AFI in Silver Springs, Maryland, which is one of the best theaters in the country. And he was begging me to go see it with him, and I just couldn't get out there to see it. And next thing you know, it ends up coming out on Blu-ray in December. And I buy it because Randy had raved about it sat down and watched it the the day that I bought it and immediately fell in love with it. And uh, it's one that I want to talk about. So it's a Danish film that actually came out in its country in November of 2020, but it didn't get a US release until May of 2021. And it wasn't released in any other countries until 2021. So even though if you look it up, look it up on IMDb, it debuted in 2020 in its, in its home country. 
theatrically it didn't show till till 2021 over here. And we're gonna talk about uh, Riders of Justice starring none other than Mads Mikkelsen. So I'm pretty excited about this because you haven't seen this, right, Brad? I have not. I have not seen this. Have you heard about this film? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, it was on a lot of people's top 10 for the year list. Um, so I know a little bit about it, but I tried to stay away because I knew kind of we, what we were doing for this month and I knew this was on it. So I've, I've, I've tried to keep myself in the dark as much as I could. Okay. John, have you, have you even heard about this or have seen it? Yeah. Isn't this the one that, um, that <laughs> I just said, I'm exactly. trying to say the dark. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, you were actually telling me about it and I got it in my cart. I got to order it and I got to watch it. Okay. Yeah. I, I would encourage everybody. I don't know what streaming platform it's on. If you've got to rent it, buy it, et cetera, it's, it's accessible. You can find it anywhere, but I'm telling you folks, you need to watch this and you need to join us next week when we talk about it. It's going to be a fun, I mean, a really fun conversation. So Brad, we still have a giveaway going on. I think we're going to give it another week. Um, yeah. We were looking for people to give us their recommendations for first time watches or, or things that they discovered in 2021, because we want to share a copy of Donnie Yen's Raging Fire. So we'll probably do that drawing next week. Uh, if somebody wants to write to us and share us their thoughts on some discoveries from last year, or even tell us what we should be watching for the show this year, how do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, all those counts for your entries. Um, let us know what we should be watching. Um, sell us on those. Um, I'm trying to go back and gather up all the recommendations and put them to our list because we have a bunch. We have a bunch of stuff that uh, we have to get through, um, which I'm excited about because some of the stuff I've, I haven't seen and some of it I need to revisit. Um, and it's nice to have one movie a week where I know I have to watch this and I'm not like, okay, I've got like 10 things I want to watch. What am I going to watch? I know at least one um, each week that's already picked for me. So it's nice. So help me with my uh, picking paralysis. Awesome. And the other exciting news for this month is I know a lot of your other favorite shows have been on hiatus for the holidays. But The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema is back. Um, I think is. Zach and Zoe are back. They're recording now for the Backlook uh, Cinema podcast. I think VHS Files uh, podcast is coming, coming back. back. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, visit all of those. We're going to have a lot of guests um, over the next few weeks. We've actually had some folks reach out to us that have done some movies and were in talks of maybe doing a couple of interviews and bringing them on. Brad and I were kind of shocked because we received some emails and uh, more to come on that. But um, we, we always like we'll get weird stuff every once in a while. Like this is fake as shit. Yeah. This isn't this person. These princes that want to give us money. And then this one is like, oh, no, this is legit. I looked up this person. They are. Yeah. So, you know, we always do our due diligence. On, so I'm shocked that uh, some people actually want to be on our show that are legitimate actors yeah. and actresses. So, yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. Um, and then the other thing that we have planned, we have a, a very special episode coming up. We're going to do the bombies. We're going to take a look back at the films we reviewed in 2021. And Brad and I are going to debate on, you know, what is the best picture? What is the best actor or actress? And uh, we'll, we'll put a little special episode together so you can hear Brad and I argue. 
and see yeah, if you can come to Yeah, that's what we do terms. the best. When mommy exactly. and daddy fight, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, thank you again. I, I swear, every time you come on the show, I always learn something. Um, just like this whole thing, the Peacemaker hey, Suicide Squad. I, I, <laughs> dude, you do your homework. And uh, I'm always learning stuff when I talk to you. That's the best thing. No, it's always a, it's always my pleasure to be um, asked to join you guys because these are always fun. Um, love you guys. I'm glad everyone's safe and sound and we're in a new year. And um, I'm looking forward to another um, fun-filled year of uh, Not A Bomb podcast. Oh, yeah. And when The Outlaws 2 come out, we're reviewing that one opening weekend. So Yeah, I'm going to try and talk to my cousin, aunt, and somebody Korean so I can get pre-screening tickets and we're gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm flying over there. We're going to see that. <laughs> Um, what else, Brad? Am I forgetting anything? We talked about the podcast. Uh, I think we're yeah. good, right? Yeah, I think we're good. We're good. Okay. Go see the Suicide Squad. Awesome. Well, listen, uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading the show. Thank you for being a part of the family and recommending all those bombs for us to watch. Join us next week when we talk about 2020 or 2021's Writers of Justice, and we'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. 